these empties, Lord, as soon as I find where they lay. Tied off them jolly and leaving mines on a long, hot summer day. And forever day I'm working on the Illinois River, get a half a day off with pay. All right, Cable Smith here, along with my co-host Chisholm Cook, and you are tuned in to the inaugural episode of Justified Pursuit. This is a uh, a concept and more of a a way of life for my friend Chisholm and I, and, and we've been kicking around this concept for a couple of years now. I think three or four years actually. Um, it's finally come to fruition, and we're both excited about that. Justified Pursuit is something that I think the modern man pursues on a daily basis. For me, um, and and for Chisholm, a lot of that has to do with our passion for the outdoors, um, our role as husbands, as fathers, as believers, as patriots. And, you know, you look around at the state of affairs in the world today, and it's becoming harder and harder to exemplify the characteristics that I think would define justified pursuit. Uh, I'm going to let Chisholm introduce himself and talk a little bit about what justified pursuit means to him. Yeah. Thanks buddy. Um, I have an environmental law background, but these days I'm, I'm kind of a working stiff for uh, basically the largest waste company in America um, with my environmental background, I'm now in industrial waste processing. But I think that that pursuit, uh, speaking of, of, uh, of just you know being involved in environmental uh, indus- issues and uh, you know and now sort of doing environmental work from an industrial perspective is really born from you know my shared passion of the outdoors and growing up hunting and fishing and you know the desire to pass. Uh, this earth on to our kids and grandkids and at least as good a shape as we found it. Mm-hmm. Um, when we kind of first kicked around the idea of, of starting a podcast now, I think two or three years back, uh, I think we came up kind of collectively after bouncing names around a couple of days with this concept of justified pursuit. Cause I know what we were talking about. And I think one of the kind of goals still is to, is to have real conversations where we, uh, you know, are free to disagree about something or maybe even at times deliberately take opposing sides of a, of a topic just to sort of vet it out and try to find uh, some truth there in it. And yeah. um, I think that the, on everything from, you know, hunting to, you know, maybe debating the politics of the day, you know, I think we've just sort of landed on the concept of justified pursuit because we feel like um, anything that you pour into, uh, you know, like anything that you really put yourself, apply yourself to, um, any, any like lofty goal or, or hard work that you apply yourself to is a, is a, is a justified pursuit. Right. Right. Um, and so whether that's again, your work, raising your kids, preparing to go on an elk hunt or, you know, having a real serious discussion about, uh, you know, really important, like I said, sort of national issues, all that's worthwhile and uh, valuable. And I think it helps us all sort of find our center. Yeah. Right. I think we had sort of a tagline, justified pursuit, like chase the mark, right? Like 
<clears throat> anyway, that's the way I look at it. And Chisholm is a father of four girls. I have uh, two girls and a son. So we, uh, we are pursuing fatherhood uh, every day, all day. Um, and that is certainly, I think, one of the most rewarding pursuits that uh, one can undertake, Chisholm. I know you agree with that as well as, as trying to be a better husband. Um, so with yeah, that, well, and said, I think, go ahead well, on that note. I, I mean, I think that like everything that we're talking about kind of starts from there. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know there are probably a, there are some guys who at 19 years old have, uh, their entire life sort of figured out and have a mission and, and have a goal and, uh, they sort of just get after it. But I think it seems to me more and more common that, uh, men in particular in this country are often just sort of aimless or just sort of have like a hole in their spirit where adventure should live. Right. Or, or, you know, you know, not necessarily adventure, but just where meaning should, should be derived. Right. And I know for me, I feel like I was just sort of adrift until it started when I got married and decided I needed to up my game. Cause I'm, you know, I, uh, outkick my coverage in that regard. But then for sure, when we started having kids, uh, just everything about the way I looked at the world changed. And yeah. Um, so yeah, the idea of pursuing anything from knowledge to understanding to, you know, physical uh, ability, um, you know, going out and literally providing meat for the family, all that really sort of starts for me from, you know, trying to a lead by example for them and um, be uh, just be the best man I can for them. Mm-hmm. And I think I think what you said about some nineteen-year-olds having it all figured out. I know I certainly wasn't. Uh, it wasn't until my probably late twenties that I got married, and I'd say my wife kind of saved me from not a total path of destruction, but just wanting to have that pursuit of something yep. worthwhile you know rather than hey let's just uh go drink beer until we pass out so um yeah absolutely sure. yeah so um well as far as today's topic on on our first episode it's something that we've kicked around a little bit you brought it to the table and uh i think it's i think it's certainly a worthwhile one and, and that is the concept of of tribalism um so I'll let you open things up with where you want to go with this today. And and we'll just kind of get into it from there. Yeah. I mean, I guess, first of all, I think anybody that's listening to this has probably heard that term thrown around quite a bit in the last couple of years, because it seems that like every facet of life has devolved back to tribalism. And when I think about it, it's funny because it, it's a, I think an expected sort of natural phenomenon, right? I mean, I've all, I've been really into like primal concepts for, for a good while now. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think the main reason you and I love to hunt and fish is this connection to ancestry, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I, fir- I firmly believe that the feelings and the senses and just the, uh, I mean, the true, like present oneness that you experience when you have an elk or a deer coming in and where everything else just bleeds away and in that focus that you have 
uh, this complete switched on flow state, I guess is the word I'm looking for that you have in that moment is because of that million, that hundred, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, whatever it is, millions of years of evolution leading us to where we are today, right? We're, we're connecting back into something that um, is mostly stifled in modern day life. Which, so looking at it from that perspective. We're both big fans of, of the book Wild at Heart. Um, yeah. It kind of yeah, that, I mean, it that speaks mantra. To that, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that whole book is about um, the fact that, you know, modern society has created this void in a man's soul, um, you know, where adventure and, and battle and, uh, you know, and, you know, he talks about an adventure to live, a, a battle to fight and a woman to, woman to woo or to save, I guess. Those are the three things a man needs. Yeah. Um, but what I, what I was getting at with that is like, when I think about this, the way that our society suddenly has seemingly devolved into the quote tribalism, it's like, well, that's pretty primal, right? Because we're tribalist species. We always have been. Um, you know, the, the sad thing is you, you'd like to think that I guess like societal evolution could just sort of continue on an upward trajectory. But I mean, again, it, just like just about anything else, we can be trending upwards, but then have a dip and then start trending upwards again. Right. And I do feel like we have definitely slid back as a society, you know, from a kind of a one world vision uh, to this, this series of lines that you have to pick which side of which side you're going to be on. Right. Yeah, and again, yeah. I, it's just funny to think about it in terms of like how it's just it's just everywhere. Whether it's you know po- political topics, uh, statehood. Um, you know, I made notes about when I sent this over to you about how you know even within our you know outdoorsman world, you you see like pretty hardcore tribalism. It's like tribalism all the way down, right? You have some people who, you know, like to fish, but they don't like to hunt because somehow they see that, I don't know, whatever. They, you know, catching a fish isn't the same to them as shooting a deer, maybe. But then even within those disciplines, you have, you know, rifle hunters. And then muzzleloader hunting is like a step above that. And then you have bow hunting. And then you have recurve hunting, recurve bow, you know, archery. <clears throat> and it's like every time you add a challenge to it, you, you find yourself in a whole new group and that group's looking down at the ones that are doing it a little bit easier. Right. Same thing with fishing. Right. Starting with, you know, fishing with bait all the way down to like fly fishing with nothing but a dry fly. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. Which, it's just which, like we're not we're above fired. that. I mean, and that's one of the things that's like so weird is you and I both will soak bait all day long, but then also go out in the mountains and enjoy a day of fly fishing. And then you look at people who are purists and that's okay if, you, if live bait's not for you, but you want to knock the other guy who bought a fishing license and is out there doing what he loves to do just because he's using live bait. And uh, I think that's a Absolutely. principle of tribalism <laughs> within the fishing community. For sure. And it's like, to me, I, I, I try to live and view the world from a live and let live perspective. Yeah. Right. I consider myself mostly a libertarian. I'm not down with all libertarian, you know, positions and, and philosophy, but, but certainly when it comes to most social issues 
and, and, and sort of just like personal freedoms. I say, you do, do you, let me do me. And as long as that isn't in conflict, we're good. And to your point, like I enjoyed trying all those things. Um, and I don't condemn, I think when I started bow hunting, I, I might've had a little phase there where I scoffed at rifle hunting, <laughs> but I'm over it. I moved past it. So, I mean, I guess it's, when you think about tribalism, I mean, you, you, you could have a scenario where different tribes all coexist in a, maybe a, you know, relative geographical area and they all just get along. But in reality, when you put two tribes up against each other, you know, throughout human history, it's not surprising to see a war break out. Right. Right. Um, and, and so I think, again, it's, it's just funny how each of these really can be like a microcosm of, of like a general human condition. Right. I mean, like I said, it, uh, I think we're going to ease our way into more pop culture, political type discussion over time. Yeah. And, you know, always sort of have this hunting and fishing, uh, I don't know, base, or foundation to, to what we're talking about. But again, you see the same type of thing throughout, it seems American and, and, and just generally world existence these days where not only do you have everybody trying to find their tribe and it seems to be that social media can like overlaps perfectly this rise of this new rise in like global tribalism oh, <laughs> because yeah. there you can oh. find your echo chamber, right? You can, so, you know, social media is a place that used to be that when our parents were kids, you had the morning newspaper and three news channels, and that was where you got all your information pretty much, right? So everybody was kind of feeding off the same, um, you know, the same sources. Hell, when nowadays, I was a kid, I'm 38. I, I read the sports page every day because there was no right to like check box scores of, hey, how did the Rangers or Astros or what did Michael Jordan do last night? You know, I mean, that type of stuff right. only available through <laughs> the newspaper. Yeah. And then that, but that created, I mean, you're, you're from DFW, right? Dallas, Fort Worth. Yeah. It, just about everybody when you were a kid in the entire Metroplex probably got the Dallas morning news. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I know the Fort Worth star telegram too, but point being that being your primary news outlet that created at least a, a huge communal sort of, tribal atmosphere right well nowadays does anybody even take the paper anymore no probably I mean, very yeah. few i know that they're that particular paper is laying people off left and right like all the rest of them across the country you have now this just deluge of information uh available at your fingertips in your pocket but you can find your niche and create a little echo chamber and that seems to just further divide us into these smaller and smaller and, and then and really more fierce and hostile tribes it seems like you know when i was a kid it seems like the only tribe that i can think of was like being a dallas cowboy fan versus someone right. that was a packers fan or you know when we got to college still in all all of our friends in college and we still beat each other up guys from Houston, guys from Dallas, guys from out of state. Uh, you know, our sports teams are, that's our tribe, but there's certainly more echo chambers as you called it or, or tribes because of social media than ever before. And uh, you know, whether you see it, you see it on the news every day. And I think we all know what's going on in, in the world, especially in our country, but uh, certainly 
those those tribes weren't necessarily violent ones you know uh well i mean sometimes right? well unless you're an eagles we, we all know about eagles fans yeah. and like the, the uk soccer hooligans right but right. i think by and large to your point that was always a relatively benign form of tribalism i, I guess it's not my position here that we should you know like abandon the con concept of tribalism because I, I don't know that we can again getting to sort of the primal aspect of uh, yeah. you know of being in a tribe right I, I do think there may be there's some like dna encoded aspect of that right mm -hmm. and so things like sports gave us in modern or you know <laughs> i guess no longer modern but 20 years ago things like sports gave us an outlet for that um you know in an era where it certainly wasn't your typical like tribal community. Right. And for the most part that worked out pretty well. It wasn't super high stakes. It's who wins or loses the game. Yeah. It might ruin your week or at least your Sunday afternoon, but you know, possibly your Monday all, as well. Right. Well, you definitely wouldn't want to listen to ESPN <laughs> or anything, but for the most part, it wasn't like you couldn't coexist with somebody who had a different allegiance when it came to that. Right. We right. all sort of understood that, Sports was just sports, right? But yeah. nowadays, it's like I said, it, it's literally every facet of life. And the problem is, when it, when 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 tribalism starts to become a matter of of ideas, which I think is probably really what we're getting at here. Like when it comes to politics, or again, what method of hunting you prefer, mm -hmm. that's all sort of ideological, right? True, true, like tribes were people with a similar origin story in a similar geographic place who had bound together for a common purpose of protecting each other and supporting each other, right? Yeah, from other tribes. I was watching on that right, show yesterday yeah. uh, the history of Mayan war culture and how they would strategically place – well, they weren't really pyramids, but structures, watchtowers – on these, they weren't mountains, they were high hills in the jungle so they could look out uh, for, you know, a neighboring tribe coming to, you know, Raid. conflict yeah. with them. Um, and and that was, that's a lot different, obviously. They're trying to kill each other, but... Uh, yeah, but, but so you had, like, this very general common purpose, right? Common good. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't an ideological thing. It was... Survival. It was survival... And it was, again, it was really just driven by like kind of location, uh, I, I guess ethnicity, right? Again, you, your origin as a human being and as a society, where, where nowadays you've got people jumping into tribes because of something that they're interested in yeah. or, um, you know, a, a philosophical position that they hold, right? But the problem then becomes like, there's no, I don't, I really don't think there are any two people that you could sit down with and say, spend 12 hours like dissecting their viewpoints on all the, say, the issues of the day and find that they're being totally honest from the depths of their heart, 100% agreement on all issues, right? But this like new form of ideological tribalism kind of requires that, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, really, when you look at it 
politically, it seems like more and more every day. It's like, if you want to be a Republican right now in 2020, um, then there's a certain set of boxes that you have to check. And if you step out of line, then you're called a quote rhino. It's definitely true on the left, you know, where, you know, not only if you step out of line with all of the viewpoints that the left currently holds, do you get, uh, you know, shunned or, or canceled. Yeah. yeah can- canceled. Right. I think the Republicans by and large are a little more open-minded. Um, but at the same time, if you do check the Republican boxes, then now here in 2020, you're labeled as a racist, which is, you know, going back to the other tribe. It's, uh, I don't know. It's, it's hurtful to be honest with you. It hurts me as a as a person, not just because I'm being labeled as a racist, to just see all the hate that is out there. And it comes from both sides. But uh, I think the point of today's discussion on tribalism, it's it, it's been a part of human history, and it still is. But I think it's probably degrading and, and making things worse than it ever has at any other point in history. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm thinking kind of out loud on the fly as far as this goes, but I think there's something to I think there's something to the the distinction between traditional tribalism, I guess. Again, where like warring parties. The, right, where the yeah. tribe was necessary for your survival. Yeah. And honestly, and that's that really cuts to the root of I think one of the biggest problems in modern society anyway is that there's not none of us are driven moment to moment anymore by the struggle to survive right that's that's been taken away and life has become way too easy uh this is something that a lot of people in the country a lot of podcast hosts psychologists philosophers that i know i listen to are talking about a lot but the the lack of that struggle for basic human survival has given everybody a lot of free time uh, to think and get angry about things that are outside of their control. Um, but when tribalism was applied in that setting versus the modern day version of tri- tribalism, again, where it's all based on ideology, well, I may have two different ideas about the same basic concept, depending on the specific circumstances I'm applying them to. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's the biggest problem is that everybody wants just this, you know, not to, <laughs> No pun intended, but this black or white analysis of everything, but nothing in the world is black and white. Very little anyway, right? There's not that much black and white. Almost everything involves shades of gray, right? And, and so to try to create ideological tribes, it's inevitable that you're going to find yourself in conflict within the tribe, you know? Yeah. But unlike real traditional human tribalism where, yeah, maybe you would have conflict within the tribe, but as soon as the tribe next door showed up for a fight, you dropped all that shit and you went and fought and together right now there's, there's the, really not that presence, that ever present threat of the neighboring tribe coming into, you know, rape and pillage your tribe. And so when you start to have a schism within your tribe or when you start to have a dialogue within your tribe about possible ideas, all you end up with is, you know, you either have to conform to all the viewpoints of the tribe or you get kicked out and ostracized, right? Yeah. But, you know, when it comes to your point about 
Republicans versus Democrats, right versus left. I generally agree. I think I think the right in modern American society is actually the home place of diversity and ideas. Intolerance. You can just look at the yeah, and to- absolutely of tolerance, um, which is hilarious because the left has always built their entire <laughs> right. you know perception, I guess, on on the concept they, of tolerance. The left. But- the left filters out this message message that you said earlier that you try to live your life by live and let live. That's their message. They want you to think they live by, but it is the furthest thing that they actually exemplify. Absolutely. And the same with the concept of racism. Like you said, they, I heard this is, this is a, this is like a famous quote or, or famous sort of thought. I don't know who it's attributed to, but it's the idea that once you start basically calling names, uh, just being derogatory, you've lost the argument. Yeah. Right. If you look at the way that the right and the left quote unquote debate today, the left, there's a bunch of people on the right that like to throw around dumb terms like libtards. They don't know what a liberal is in the first place. And that's aggravating. That's a whole separate conversation. Yeah. Generally speaking, the left is the ones calling the right racist, homophobe, you know, transphobe you name the the list of derogatory kind of all-encompassing hate that they throw it's because their arguments suck and when they're turning around to your exactly the point you just made they'll cast the right as the racist yet they're the ones that want to divide everybody into their appropriate racial group identity politics is the game on the left yeah right again What's more racist than saying all white people suffer from white privilege and are inherently racist and have to root that out of their soul, right? (laughs) And all black people are oppressed, uh, you know, victims. When I start thinking about that sort of thing, actually, it seems like anything I think about nowadays, it just drags me into this weird place where I, I, I feel like the structure of reality is breaking down around us because I can look at these things and say, that's ridiculous. It's hypocritical. We're all blinded by blind to our own hypocrisy to some extent, mm-hmm. but there is a level of hypocrisy in, in that and in politics in general right now, but especially in, in sort of that concept that I just don't understand how anybody can hold those types of views and never sort of stumble into the reality of their own conflict. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, like how do you, this living in hypocrisy is what is what it is like how do they not realize that 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 is what they are as hypocrites it's worse uh, i think sometimes than that they're just living in it it's that they're i don't know almost it seems sometimes like they're almost driven by it right because to be so divergent to hold such sometimes so diametrically opposed views uh, it's like they're just trying to sow chaos intentionally, right? To keep their opponents from knowing where the battle is. And again, you know, just sort of thinking some of these things out loud right now, there's something that occurs to me. <clears throat> so tribes historically, right, in, mm-hmm. in the ancient sense, humans came together in tribes first and foremost to meet the physical needs of humanity, protection, shelter, safety in numbers, 
the acquisition of food and resources, right? Yeah, it's survival, like That's, we talked about exactly. earlier. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. It, tribes came together for survival. Once humans had gathered in tribes, then a culture evolved out of that congregation, right? So belief systems came together, were created by these groups and passed down from generation to generation. So within a tribe, I mean, you may have minor conflicts between individuals or or families, right? But for the most part, the basic beliefs about reality within a tribe would be somewhat uniform, but they would be secondary. They would be that they would be what came from the tribe coming together for the simple needs of survival. Right. Now that most of those needs are met by the abundance of modern society, particularly in the U S where, you know, at no point, unless you're in the wilderness, are you more than five minutes and even in the wilderness, are you more than five minutes from food, shelter, et cetera. What we have is tribes now being built around ideas. So it's backwards. Yeah, Absolutely. It's truly the cart before the horse. And the problem is, you know, when a tribe comes together for protection to protect each other, then they end up with a collective set of ideas that they hold together and they war with others over mostly protection, rarely over ideas. Now we have tribes coming together over ideas and warring about the ideas themselves. Yeah. They're not warring over territory, physical geography, where they're going to keep their shelters, where their hunting grounds lay. They're warring over the ideas. And obviously that's just not sustainable. It's not the natural order of things. What do you think about that? No, I think you're totally right. The inherent need to survive trumps any modern day ideology, which we see, you know, as the basis of these quote tribes forming today. Uh, These ideals that they're not, they're not needed for survival. They're just something that makes someone feel good. And sometimes it's a very temporary thing. Um, Whereas when you look at long-term tribalism is, I mean, you're in it for the long haul. That's your tribe. That will always be your tribe. Um, you know, throughout history. I mean, people didn't just jump tribes. You, you, you won't, the only way you went to a new tribe is if you were captured and enslaved. Right. Like you said, yeah, I mean, part before the horse is what it is. It's, it's, it's ass backwards. Right. I, to, to your point, I think if our, if our, infrastructure was to collapse tomorrow all of these idea based ideologically based tribes would instantaneously be obliterated and what you would see would be neighborhoods coming together to survive Uh, the neighborhood we lived in prior to moving to the hill country i sort of stumbled into the fact that there were a whole bunch of preppers in my community that were all connected already through like ham radio ham radios they had already built out their little tribe and they were like, no, dude, you don't get in unless you're bringing something into the table. So, but that's, that was, that's what would happen if we suddenly like, found, watch me shoot a bow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. But, but that's what would happen if the truck stopped running and the food, you know, the shelves at the grocery store were emptied and all the food rotted would be to your point. True survival would instantly Trump your <laughs> Trump's probably a tricky word <laughs> would instantly override your uh your ideas and your belief systems 
And you'll quickly realize that, that those don't feed you. But the really funny thing is, and particularly on the left, the rhetoric you hear from the left, it's always, they're talking in these existential survivalist terms. I mean, that's how you know it's tribalism at its root, right? But, but misplaced tribalism, because they're always screaming, people are dying, people will die. You know, women will die if we, you know, regulate abortion. It's always, it's always this existential threat that they're claiming comes from different ideas. And that's bullshit. It's almost, you know, I would say it's almost never the case when you're talking about politics. Yeah. Right. I mean, there may be some instances, yeah, where, you know, we talk about healthcare. I mean, you could argue there are existential ramifications to individuals in that context, but whether the government offers healthcare or not is not dictating whether people are dying in mass or not from lack of healthcare. Right. But that's the way they talk. Yeah. Oh, Black Lives mean, Matter. All black people are being killed by police. Wait a second. What about the uh, 25 people that were murdered in Chicago last weekend? What? Why are we not talking about that? Right. Yeah. They- yeah. 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 I mean, they're, they're and that and that's that goes to the the kind of the heart of identity politics. Those black right? lives don't I, matter because they don't fit my tribal narrative that I'm trying to uh, get everyone else on board with. Right. And, th- and that tribal narrative is all us versus them, right? And if you point out, like you just said, that uh, orders of magnitude more African-American people are murdered by other African-American people versus the cops, you're challenging the ideological narrative of, of, of that tribe, right? So you just have to be shouted down, even though it's, it's a fact. Yeah. And, you know, again, that's why... Uh, you know, at its extreme, true leftism, i.e. Marxism, I mean, in his, in the manifesto, he says there, there's, there's nothing true that, something to the effect of the only thing that's true is what you feel. Like they, they deliberately dismiss, uh, you know, intentionally dismiss the idea of things being objectively true, which is why you see in some of these liberal arts grievance studies programs, in the introduction to some of these textbooks, they'll specifically say, we dismiss like the Western scientific method hmm. because it's a tool of oppression and it doesn't account for feelings. Feelings, you cannot rule the world based on feelings. You can't make a good decision based on feelings, but the left would say, all that matters is your feelings. If you feel it, then it's true. If you observe it, it's not necessarily true. If you feel it, it's true, right? Yep. And that's why that's why you can bludgeon a leftist with the statistics that you cited, you know. The, every weekend in Chicago, uh, every, every weekend in D.C., gun-free zones, yeah. high murder rates. What do we need? We need to take the guns away from the law-abiding citizens. Uh, right. Yeah, I mean, because <laughs> then the gun-free zones will be safer. Right. It, right. It doesn't make. It, it doesn't have to make sense. We, anyone who's maybe slightly left of center, like a classical liberal, a traditional. Open, true open-minded liberal who believes in Western civilization and the scientific method, anybody from that range to the conservatives, think in terms of logical progression, right? And that's not to say there's not a fair share of hypocrisy on the right, because by all means, there absolutely is. Huh. But usually it's not so blatant as, you know, there's no such thing as men and women, yet we have to interfere with a... T- you know, a preteen's hormones to transition them. Like, yeah. 
I can't think of much on the right that is that like patently insane. I, I think that a leftist might throw at you, oh, you know, the right is, you know, takes their moral high ground, but then how do you support Trump? Well, you know what? The most, most of the folks who, you know, most say evangelical Christians who actually try to live that way, but don't, don't just call themselves that mm -hmm. will say, you know, I don't really like a lot of what he says. I don't like his behavior. Right. But his policies are correct. In my opinion, the left's policies are abhorrent and his words don't kill people, but the left will say they do. Right. That's why they're now calling speech violence, right? No. They're calling speech violence because if it's violence, then they can fight back against it with violence. Why do they need to do that? Because they need to intimidate the Ben Shapiro's into the world into not spouting facts that any reasonable listener hears and thinks, well, that makes sense. Thank God guys like Ben Shapiro don't back down from that crap, right? I mean, thank God, yes. Thank God we have guys like Ben Shapiro, a very intelligent um well-spoken well-studied fighter warrior yeah. dude that little guy is like five seven five eight i think probably he and... has an undefeated track record <laughs> yes for sure i don't don't, don't step recall. into the ring with him you're gonna get knocked the f out for sure well you, you damn sure don't step into the ring with them out fact without facts yep. again the left the left is always in there without facts always well i think this has been a good inaugural episode we're going to wrap it up, but here's one thing I, I want to leave with. And that is no matter what's going on in the world, I think this is important to say uh, that although Chisholm and I don't agree on everything and we certainly, I certainly don't agree with a lot of things of uh, let's just say Democrats put out there. It doesn't mean that I hate them. It I have nothing but love for humanity. And I think that at this time and, and place and in history, you know, I, I feel a lot of hate being thrown at me personally as a white male, uh, but I just want to make it clear that Chisholm and I don't don't reciprocate that. I love everybody, even though I disagree with you. It doesn't mean I don't respect your opinion, and, and uh, I think it's important that we mention that on, on the first episode. I mean, 100%. And I'd go a step further and say there are definitely – I mean, there's grains of truth in just about anything, right? Like the left are often fighting just causes, right? Bringing, bringing, highlighting real issues in society. They're just horribly wrong about how to go about fixing them, <laughs> right? Right. But they're, but they're conversations worth having. The really terrible thing is that nowadays the extreme left doesn't want to have the conversation. They just want to bludgeon you into submission, right? Yeah. I'm, you know, I, the, the Republicans in Congress and, you know, most of the humans across the country after May 25th, when George Floyd was murdered in the streets of Minneapolis, everybody was ready to have a conversation about police reform. Tim Scott, the Senator for, from South Carolina, Republican Senator, African-American tried to submit a bill that had basically unanimous backing from the American right to, to try to fix, to try to help improve how we police society. Right. We want to be able to have the conversations. And to your point though, I think the most important thing you just said is there is no way to, to engineer racism, bigotry, hate, and oppression out of society. The only way to ever eradicate it 
exactly what Jesus told us 2,000 years ago when he was asked, what's the most important commandment by the Sadducees? And he said, or maybe in the Pharisees, I always confuse the two. Love. Love your God. Love your neighbor. If you take care of those two things, everything else falls into place. Yeah, so uh, I'm going to encourage everyone to just go listen to a little Bob Marley and uh, <laughs> chill out because he, he was right there with Jesus. I'm not comparing Bob Marley yep. to Jesus, but one love, you know, that's the message. And, and I think that uh, despite how fired up we get on the show, who knows where it's going to go first episode. I think we always will come back to that center of, you know, love your neighbors yourself. So uh, thank you guys for tuning in. We will be back with episode two next week, which Chisholm, I think we're going to focus uh, on the second amendment. Yeah. I think it's timely uh, on a number of fronts, so yeah. So that is going to do it for episode number one of Justified Pursuit. For Chisholm Cook, I'm Cable Smith saying we'll see you guys next week.